Hi, everyone. This is Greg Harton. I'm the editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I'm joined today by Rusty Turner, our editor here in Northwest Arkansas. And we have the opportunity today to interview uh, Ronetta Francis, who is a Democrat running for state Senate in District 1 uh, in Benton County. Uh, tell us a little bit, if you don't mind, just starting off with the basics. Where is District 1? Yes, so Greg, hi Greg, hi uh, Rusty, and hello everyone. District 1 is best described as being in the heart of Benton County. So if you think about starting at the apex, Bentonville, going up north towards uh, Bella Vista just a bit, a little bit of Little Flock actually is included within the district, coming on down towards uh, Rogers, but only on the west side of 49. And we've got Centerton, and they're moving down to Cave Springs, Elm Springs, Lowell, those areas, and then all the way down to just right north of 412. It includes a little bit of Washington County as well. So we've got a little bit of Springdale and Tonty Town in the, in the mix as well. All right. Uh, well, thank you for that. Um, I did want to uh, uh, let the listeners know that uh, you are an executive and leadership coach uh, and human resources consultant, and I believe this is your first run for public office? It is exactly my first run. Yes, that's correct. All right. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about your thought process about uh, deciding to run, and um, you know, just go ahead and dive into what you believe are the important issues that the people of the district uh, uh, want you to represent them um, uh, with down in Little Rock. Thank you. So my decision to run was a very, you know, very deliberate one. I um, had not had, as you know, uh, a background in politics. I actually shied away from engaging in political conversations and debate and, and just political activity because generally I found it to be somewhat divisive and, and just really acrimonious. And so that's just not the kind of space that I generally like to play in. But I am an advocate by heart and by profession. Uh, even though I am an executive and leadership coach now, uh, my background is in employment law. And I work for the federal government and for the private sector in the employment law area arena, being an advocate to ensure equal opportunities within the workplace. And I also did that in the private sector, like I mentioned, for Walmart in their employment division and then moving on to ethics and compliance. So it's always been within my wheelhouse to be an advocate for, uh, for others and to work to ensure equity and inclusion and fair opportunities across the board and also being sure to hold people accountable if they are not doing as they're supposed to be doing. So it just became uh, incumbent upon me or uh, just it just pressed on my heart that the leadership and the representation for District 1 in Little Rock did not accurately reflect uh, just the mindset, the hearts, and, and, and principles of a lot of people here in, in Northwest Arkansas. And quite frankly, and put it simply, representation matters. As a, as a wife and a mother, I, you know, we talked about my roles as an, as an executive, as an attorney, as a small business owner. I truly understand the struggles that many, 
many families are facing here in Northwest Arkansas and across the state and quite frankly, across the country. And it, it really means something to make sure that people have their voices heard and making sure that folks who haven't heard a voice, who haven't had a seat at the table, have an opportunity, have a representative who can champion their causes. So that's, that's what led me to, uh, to make the decision to just jump in at this particular time and to do my part. And quite frankly, we all have an obligation, a duty to service, in my opinion. And it's, it's also my opinion that we have a, a moral obligation to leave a place better than what we found it. And so we, it's just, it was my calling, it was my time, and here we are. Um, so that, that, that kind of you know, encapsulates the decision-making process combined with lots of deliberations, conversations with my husband, lots of prayer, and conversations with other um, candidates and current legislators to understand the process because it was new. I always look to learn more about an area and issue before making a decision. So uh, all of that due diligence led me to decide it was time to go. And so also in doing that research, what I discovered and learned in my conversations with, with residents and constituents here in the area, some of the major issues that are impacting um, Arkansans. And when I thought about my platform issues as it relates to access to affordable health care and quality, uh, quality health care and affordable prescription prices, ensuring that we were increasing the funding for our education systems to have higher pay for teachers and support staff and ensuring that we were taking care of essential workers by um, making sure they have a livable wage and safe and habitable living spaces and also just being very mindful about how inclusive we are as a community and as a state. So when I think about legislative priorities, one of the first ones that comes to mind is working with the bipartisan group that presented a hate crimes bill to Governor Hutchinson over the summer. The hate crimes bill, uh, Arkansas is one of three states that doesn't have one. The hate crimes bill basically elevates the penalties for crimes that are imposed against a particular victim because of a protected category. And you know, I'm a lawyer, so I'm gonna try not to use too much legal ease, but it's if you are a victim of a crime because of your race, because of your gender, because of who you love, who you worship, um, those things should have elevated penalties. I mentioned my background with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and it's always been um, ingrained upon me that folks shouldn't be treated differently because of these inherent characteristics. So making sure that we pass that hate crimes bill does a multitude of things. First, it protects the family. It ensures that folks who, who may not look like worship or love in what may be considered mainstream or as an outlier, know that they have safety and security in engaging and being and living and working in Northwest Arkansas without having to um, fear without having to be in fear. So it, it brings strength to the family. It also supports the community because with the knowledge that there are elevated penalties for engaging in certain criminal activities, the hope is and the desire 
would be that would have a, uh, a diminishing effect on those types of crimes occurring. And with those types of crimes not occurring, the public safety in the community goes up. And it also has an economic effect because there are companies who are not coming to Northwest Arkansas, to Arkansas, because we don't have such a bill, because we're not showing ourselves to be welcoming and inclusive, because we have other legislation that is actually exclusive and could be considered discriminatory against uh, specific communities, specifically the LGBTQ community based on their sexual orientation and gender identity. So that's one of the you know, top legislative priorities. I think another one also deals with, um, not I think, but another one also deals with gun sense legislation and ensuring that we can have um, a livable wage for our essential workers. The ones who for months and months have been on the front line taking care of us, making sure the economy continues to roll, making sure we have the essential products and services that we need. And we have not, we have somewhat failed them as it relates to access to healthcare and testing and ensuring that they're in safe working conditions. We must do better by our essential workers. And that includes where they live. Arkansas is the only state that doesn't have a landlord tenant habitability, a minimum standard of habitability, that does not hold the landlord accountable for this, the, the safety standards and sanitation of rental property. And the stories that I've heard have been just heartbreaking, the conditions that Arkansans who rent are subjected to without recourse. For example, turning on a faucet in a bathroom and having feces come out of the tub um, faucet. That's unacceptable. No one should have to live that way. No one. So um, you talked a little bit about the hate crimes bill. So let me stick with that, kind of play on that topic a little bit. Um, we're in the in the midst of a, of a, of a national reckoning on race and on, on uh, 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 racial tension. There's a lot of racial tension in the country right now. Mm -hmm. So as a lawmaker, other than the hate crimes bill, as a lawmaker, what other ways do you, do you see your role as addressing uh, those issues uh, in Arkansas? Right. I think, um, Rusty, to your point, we are in a racial reckoning as it relates to race relations, racial justice, and so many issues that have been um, existing and present and experienced by so many uh, indiv individuals within the African-American, the Hispanic, Latinx community, and other communities are now bubbling up to the surface such that they have global and universal awareness of these conditions. And so to address those, in addition to passing the hate crimes bill, we have to look at root cause. We have to look at the systems that are in place that have allowed these racial injustices to continue generation after generation after generation. Now, it does not suggest that because there is a desire to address these racial inequities and the systems that support them, that there is a lack of love for country, that there is a lack of love for democracy, or that there is a lack of support for law enforcement. Those things are not mutually exclusive. And so while we are addressing what are those things that are 
are, are harming our neighbors, how can we better support them as well as say law enforcement, for example? So one of the things I think that is critical to to moving forward is reevaluating all of the different services and roles that we expect law enforcement to play. We place a phone call and law enforcement shows up and it might be a situation where there's a mental illness uh, at play or someone is suffering from the effects of substance abuse. These aren't crimes, but we are criminalizing behavior. We're over-criminalizing behavior and subjecting more and more people to, to interaction with the criminal justice system. And more often not, than not, they are black and brown people, just to be honest. And so we have to deal with the facts as they are. We cannot sugarcoat it and to move on. We have to acknowledge where we are, and then we have to start peeling back the layers, not with blame, not with accusations and not with defensiveness, but with a clear eye as to being aligned on the purpose that we don't want these behaviors, we don't want these systems to continue. And so what can we do collectively across the aisles with everyone coming to the table, aligned on a common purpose, we can, we can draft a solution, we can come up with solutions. You, um Let's look at this kind of through the political lens for just a second. Um, uh, the district that you're hoping to represent has, has I think, been solidly Republican uh, for uh, a great number of years, as, as a lot of Benton County. Um, uh, what are the dynamics in play that, that, as you looked at running this race, that you felt like uh, there, there was an opportunity for you as a Democrat to, to represent the people of District 1. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I really approached it not necessarily from a Democrat versus a Republican standpoint. I approached it from the standpoint of what values are being represented in Little Rock. And does that reflect the district? And so when you think about when um, the Republican reign, or you know, you said there has you know it's been solidly red for quite some time. We've had a infusion of, uh, of of individuals, families coming into the area. We have the, this district is a, the growth is explosive, right? And so we are we are are, are welcoming in new uh, new neighbors from all over the country and all over the world whose ideas, values, perceptions, backgrounds are different and should also be reflected and represented in, in Little Rock. And so with this infusion of so many additional people, as well as just having an awareness of what actually has been happening in Little Rock on behalf of District 1 has really shocked a lot of people. So when, and just in having conversations and learning that um, my opponent, the incumbent, opposed the passage of the hate crimes bill back in 2017 when it was initially enacted, startled a lot of people because that's not aligned with their values. When they learned that he sponsored basically the bill that supports discriminating against LGBTQ uh, individuals, based on their sexual orientation and gender identity, 
that didn't align with their values as well. So there is Democrat, there's Republican, and then there's an extreme. So even with Democrat versus Republican, I still believe that we all really want the same things. We all really want to have healthcare. We wanna know we can go to the doctor when we're sick. We all wanna know that we can pay for the medical treatment that we need. We all want our children to be well-educated and to have access to the best opportunities. And we all wanna make sure that we feel safe and included and welcomed in our home. These are common things that do not have party affiliation. And when you align on those things, Democrat or Republican, you can see who represents those interests and who you want representing you in Little Rock. I've had multiple conversations, many with Republicans who are now voting Democrats because what has been happening in Little Rock does not reflect their values and does not reflect their mindset, their lifestyle, or what they want to, um, or it just doesn't reflect them at all. Okay. The, um, let's touch base for a minute on um, COVID-19, which is, uh, I would like to think before uh, you take office, if you're elected, that it would be all over with, but I, I think that's wishful thinking. Um, uh, but evaluate for me how you feel the state has responded uh, to the epidemic uh, within this state. And, um, uh, and as you go into a legislative session, what it is that you as a lawmaker would want to be uh, looking at to, to help guide that uh, in, a, in a different direction if, if you feel that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So overall, I would say the, the state did a fairly, fairly good job. I would say that because there are certain things that I agree with wholeheartedly, as it relates to the social distancing guidelines and the mask mandate that the governor signed. Uh, my challenge though, quite frankly, is that in my opinion, the science uh, determined that those actions should have been taken sooner. And by enacting those, those guidelines and executive orders earlier, we could have seen a different rate as it relates to those that are infected those that were and those that have passed away, those that we've lost. So overall, I would say, you know, the governor um, convening the, the medical advisory committee was a great thing. But when I looked at that medical advisory committee, they were really focused on how we should be responding after COVID-19 peaks. And seeing what we were seeing in the progression of the disease across the country, being really much more proactive in how this, how this disease is going to travel and what we could do to further insulate ourselves from a deeper uh, impact, which in my opinion would have included making sure that we were immediately translating uh, public service information into multiple languages, into Spanish, into Marshallese, so that all communities had access to the information that would have helped to protect them and their family members. And as you see, as we have all seen, the Latinx and the Marshallese community have been severely impacted by the effects of COVID-19, disproportionately so. Here in Benton County alone, th those two groups only represent 19% of our population. 
but they represented 70% of cases and 50% of the deaths came from the Marshallese community alone. That to me is where we start losing points as it relates to how effectively we responded to, uh, to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. I also think our infrastructure system showed its weaknesses when um, you know, the uh, applications for unemployment, those systems completely shut down. People were without ways to apply for unemployment and the relief that the federal government was uh, extending. And then other relief, the, uh, when we were get, get, get ready to get back to business, it was a $50 million, uh, $15 million fund that was exhausted in 30 minutes. And that had no, small businesses had no ability to take advantage of that money and those resources to stay afloat. So the oversight that was needed for that didn't exist. So we had, but we learned, you know, this was a brand new thing. So I'm not, I, I understand that we will make mistakes. We will always make mistakes. And so as a Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback, I can sit back and evaluate but I think in the moment, the, the decisions made uh, were good. I just had hoped and wanted a lot of the decisions to be made sooner. So mm -hmm. what can we do going forward is um, really looking at the science. What is it telling us? And not just in our state. What are other states seeing and experiencing as it relates to the second wave, um, you know, schools, you know, there is a push to, to reopen schools and bring the kids back together. And we see some uh, spikes and increases in cases where we're doing that. And we are saying it's, a, it's an acceptable risk, I guess. Um, is it so? We, we don't have those numbers. So I think being very proactive and seeing and projecting what the impact of what the predicted second wave is going to look like how it's going to impact our families, how it's going to impact our communities, and how it's going to impact our business. And just being very real and, trans and, and just um, um, honest with ourselves as it relates to we've got to do uh, a better job to take care of our Kansans. Because if we do, then when the pandemic ceases, and you know, you know it's run its course, and we've taken care of each other, our economy would come back much, much stronger. We can't have a strong economy if we don't have people working. And they can't be working if they're sick and if they're dying. So making sure we're enforcing safety precautions, making sure we are being very mindful and proactive and strategic about the deployment of services and resources. Um. Some lawmakers have uh, expressed their displeasure with the, uh, uh, the way the governor and the health department have um, uh, imposed uh, the executive orders uh, uh, in, in the restricting business and, and that sort of thing and have filed a lawsuit to, uh, uh, to challenge uh, some of those things. Uh, what's your take on that lawsuit and whether that's, let us know if that'd be something you would be interested in participating in if you were in, in the legislature? I would not be interested in participating in that at all. Like I said, we are in the middle of an emergency situation. And um, based on that, we need leaders who will lead. And of course, I mean, not of course, but I'm not gonna be um, aligned with 
criticizing the governor for his exercise of emergency executive orders. I just said, we thought, I thought it should have exercised those same orders sooner. So it would be hypocritical for me to then say, oh, well, he shouldn't have exercised them at all. I think the timing could have been different, but I think that um, a lot of actions that are taken, unfortunately, are politically motivated and, um, and not really keeping the interests of the constituents at heart, the entirety of the constituents rather than a subset. So to answer that question, no, I would not be interested in participating in that lawsuit. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, one of the bigger issues, not for your district, but for this part of the state is the Buffalo National River. And there's been discussion um, uh, of a permanent moratorium on the large and, and uh, med medium-sized hog farms uh, within the watershed of the river. Um, that, that the legislature has not been as receptive to that idea as, as uh, uh, like the governor supports the, the moratorium. Uh, give me a sense of what you, uh, how you would approach that issue. Yeah, so I'll, I'll have to be great, uh, honest, Greg, I'm not as familiar with the particular impact that uh, the farming, the hog farming that you mentioned has on the Buffalo River. But what I will say uh, from a principled standpoint is that Arkansas is known as the natural state and we have to undertake uh, whatever measures we can to preserve and conserve um, our natural resources. And we cannot sacrifice uh, the beauty and, and natural uh, wonder of this state for economy. So there, I, I believe that there are restrictions and limitations and regulations that are needed to limit uh, industries' actions because sometimes industries are really more focused on ensuring that they um, uh, achieve a certain profit margin rather than what impact their actions are having on the community and on individuals. So I'm not, like I said, I'm not familiar with that particular effort. So I'd have to look into it more, but generally that would be my approach and mindset as it relates to conservation and preservation of our natural resources. Okay. Rusty, do you have something? Um, I was gonna ask about uh, the, the uh, proposal on the ballot to extend the half cent sales tax uh, for highways and roads, um, uh, uh, making that that temporary tax a permanent tax. Uh, what's your thinking about that, and what and just what's your thinking in general about uh, infrastructure needs in Arkansas as it pertains to roads and highways? So um, I would not be, you know, as a private citizen, just like you, just like uh, Greg, we have an opportunity to engage in this process and to cast our individual votes. My individual vote on that will be no. I don't think that it is um, fair to or appropriate to impose a permanent tax included within our constitution that will exist at infinitum, adding tax liabilities for future generations for something that may we can be much more creative as it relates to how do we finance um, the needs for infrastructure, um, roads and highways. This was a temporary tax due to expire in 2022. An alternative form of financing would may have been to um, 
you know, just impose another 10-year limit and a 10-year term of this tax. And during that time period, making sure that we are sourcing other um, avenues for financing to ensure that we are keeping up with our, the, the needs of our infrastructure. I know that we have to pay for our roads. I know that we need to keep the roads up. We've got three major companies here in this district that utilize these roads as, you know, as for their industry. We've got Walmart and J.B. Hunt and Tyson. I know how important the roads and keeping up the infrastructure, not just in Arkansas is, but across the country. So we've got to find creative ways rather than just instituting a permanent tax. Excuse me. And the other thing I would say is that, excuse me, um, thinking of different ways, there's a highway commission fund that can be used to support uh, funding and expenditures as it relates to upkeep and, and, and maintenance of the highways. And also just being very strategic about how we are utilizing that money and taking into consideration the current needs and future needs of a, a particular area. Here in Northwest Arkansas, we've seen 49 uh, expanded and contracted, expanded and contracted over the 13 years that I've been here. And at a certain point, we've got to just say, okay, this is where we're going to go. And I know that the growth was probably much more than anyone had expected, but now we see where we are and we have to utilize different methods to project and predict what the growth could be here and across the state so that we can reasonably, rationally, and strategically apply those resources. But you know, okay. the other challenge as it relates to infrastructure, I know you asked the questions about roads and highways, but another challenge as it relates to our infrastructure is technology and uh, broadband internet access across the state. It is not equal, it is not universal. And the pandemic exposed that those disparities and inequities. When we sent children home to learn remotely, there were kids who were severely impacted because they didn't have access not only to the technology, but to the internet so that they could communicate back to the schools, receive the information. So it's, it's our infrastructure challenges are not limited to roads and highways. We've got to make sure all of Arkansas is connected on this information superhighway as well. We um, uh, are just about out of time, but I wanted to make sure that uh, uh, we give you the opportunity if, if there's any issue uh, that uh, we have not touched on that is important to you to, uh, to discuss, then uh, uh, now's your chance to throw it out there. Well, I'd like to leave these parting thoughts. Um, one of our country's greatest uh, hallmark characteristics is the um, citizens' ability to participate in government, the citizens' ability to, to identify and, and, and shape the direction in, uh, of what their government looks like. And I mean that by participating in the census and by voting. So the voting, the census deadline has been extended through October. So I would encourage and employ everyone who's listening and watching, watching within District 1 or across the state or wherever you may be, if you haven't completed the census, please take the five minutes to do so. Go to 2020census.gov and complete the census. Why is it important? Because the results of the census determine federal funding for our areas. 
And if we are underrepresented, it has a substantial impact on the resources that will be available. And that's re relative to parks and recreation, to funding for law enforcement, to funding for hospitals, to funding for roads, to all of the things that we need to, to carry on our daily lives. So please take the few moments and that means everyone who's here. And if you are a citizen or not a citizen, you're here, you need to be counted. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to engage in the democratic process by voting. If you haven't registered to vote yet, please do so by October 5th, which is next Monday. Make sure you're registered, make sure you're registered. If you think, oh, I've moved, or I'm sure my registration is good, go on to voterview.gov.org.com, voterview, and, and find out um, if your registration is active and current. And if it's not, make sure you make those changes before Monday. People have already started to return the absentee ballots that they have requested. And there's still time if you choose to request an absentee ballot. So my advice would be register to vote or ensure your registration is active. Make a plan for your voting. Will you vote absentee? Will you vote early? Or do you plan to vote on November 3rd for the general election? My plan, I'm going to vote early. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking time to visit with us today. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, and uh, uh, good luck out there uh, campaigning. I know you're limited in terms of how much campaigning can be done face-to-face, uh, yes. -face, but uh, yes. uh, we certainly wish you well. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank you, Renetta. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you too, Rusty.